listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. But this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. And the title of this message is, you'll see it in your worship guide, The Fitting Plan of God's. And what this passage does is it kind of builds on or supports the last verse we looked at last week, chapter 2, verse 9, which says this. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That last phrase, so that he might taste death death for everyone, the author of Hebrews is going to help us think through, and he's going to unpack that for us this morning. And if you remember last week, we talked about this tension between everything being in subjection to Christ, but yet when we look at our world and we look at our lives, we don't yet see that. And so there is a natural born tension that happens. And we have to be really careful that we don't focus too much on the horizontal, because when we do that, we miss the vertical. We miss what God is doing and how he's working in our lives. But God's plan of redemption means that he sent his son to this earth to suffer and to die and to take on the sin of this world. And ultimately, we know that we have a hope because all things will be made new and we have eternity with him. So although we may not see everything in subjection, we can clearly see Christ and that is where we need to focus. And so now the author is going to help us unpack this And this was one of these weeks where I finished my sermon prep this morning. Okay, that typically doesn't happen. Okay, but that was one of these weeks. This is a fantastic passage. Um, We could spend probably two weeks talking about just verse 10. Uh, We will not do that. We'll get through 10 through 18. But it's a glorious passage that's going to help us understand what's going to happen next in the book because... We're going to then spend a lot of time talking about Jesus being our great high priest. And this text this morning helps that kind of transition to that new topic for, the, for this book. Well, let me read uh, Hebrews, 10, or excuse me, Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 18. It says this, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For it surely is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham." 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffers, had suf- has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, I thank you for just this chance that we have to gather. Lord, it is such a privilege. Lord, that we have the, the freedom to do this. Lord, that we have the freedom to assemble, to, to fellowship amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, to fellowship with one another. Lord, that we have opportunity to, to sing praises to your name to pray, and Lord, now to sit and to hear your words. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your word clearly this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help me to hear your word clearly this morning. Lord, my words in and of themselves mean nothing. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would do a work. Lord, that we would sense the power and the transforming nature of your words, that we would be sanctified, that we would be encouraged, Lord, that we would be challenged. Lord, we know this is all for our good, and it's for your glory, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. So verse 10, right, is the the fitting plan of God's. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That is a fantastic sentence. That is an absolutely fantastic sentence. And I want to start this discussion just on verse 10 with with this kind of conversation with you. Number one right, that this fitting plan is God's plan, right? The he, in that first phrase, it was fitting that he is now talking about God. And so for a brief moment, the author of Hebrews switches from the supremacy of Christ and who he is and says, okay, God, and then he's going to get back to Jesus because he wants us to understand that this is God's plan and it is a fitting plan. That means that this plan that God has to save people and to redeem people is in perfect harmony with his character and with who God is. It is so consistent with what we know about God's that we can have tremendous confidence in this plan. Now, this plan, humanly speaking, may not make any sense to us. From a human perspective, we may question the plan. Other people may question the plan. But we've learned that God has spoken to people through the prophets, and in this day, he speaks to us through his son. And so it is his plan that he is communicating to people. And so we have to make sure that we are oriented properly that we have the correct perspective, the biblical perspective of who God is and who we are. For it was fitting that he, 
Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1. And I'll just read a portion of this. Starting in verse 18, Paul writes these words. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God's. Okay, so right there, Paul is telling the Corinthian people, some of you think this is silly. But for us, it's the power of God's. And then he goes on, uh, starting again back in, in verse 23, Paul says, but we, cre we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Right? This is God's plan, and it is a very, very fitting plan. For it is by God that all things exist. It's for whom and by whom all things exist. And this plan brings many sons to glory. The end game of this is many sons to glory. The people of God living for eternity in the presence of their Lord and their Savior, bringing many sons to glory. But the founder of their salvation is being made perfect through suffering. Right? So you can see like, there's just so many like, weighty things that we kind of have to wade through and we have to navigate through. What does it mean that he's the founder of their salvation? These sons, these many sons of glory, these people of God who are going to spend eternity in heaven, but this, this founder, right? does it mean he was the, the, the first one? Other versions will say author or pioneer or perfect leader or captain. Right, and as you're studying your Bible, if you look at other translations and you see that, like, boy, this, this word founder has got like six different translations. They, they, they mess with it. They don't just say founder. Well, it's because they're trying to capture the way that what that word means. And this is what I want you to know. Whether your Bible says captain or perfect leader or pioneer or author, all I want you to know at this point is that Jesus is the hero. Your salvation is only possible because of Christ. He is the hero. Salvation is only in him and him alone. And if we run this back, right, that was God's plan, and it was a fitting plan. There's only one way. There's only one way for salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ, and he is the hero. And as hero, he was made perfect through suffering. Okay, now, you, you, an alarm may have gone off. Right, well, wait a minute, perfect, well, hold on. Right, he's, he's the son of God. But I've been told that he, he is perfect, that he, he, didn't, he didn't sin, that he was sinless, that he was, he was flawless 
in that regard. And you're right. And the author of Hebrews is saying the exact same thing. What the author of Hebrews is saying here by using this, that word perfect, and we'll see it throughout the book of Hebrews, right? It has to do with being complete or whole. So Christ was the complete solution, the perfect solution, and that solution involved suffering. And he's the hero because of what he suffered, and he's the hero because that's God's plan, and it's a very fitting plan because it speaks to his character and speaks to who he is. So this Jesus was the perfect solution to God's perfect plan who lived in perfect obedience to the Father's plan of redemption. And that included suffering. God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit were fully committed to this plan. Right? And, and that may seem obvious, right? But but just think about just think about that for a moment. And that plan was was executed perfectly. Right? There, there was no committee right, that gathered, right? There was, there was no committee in heaven and saying, okay, well, how do we solve this sin issue? And there were 16 different theories on how to do this and what not to do and who's going to do what, right? You no, know, it was a perfectly fitting plan, and the Trinity was sold out and said, yes, let's do this, and they did it because it was fitting. So your memory verse this week is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Okay, we're going to start doing memory verses out of the passages that are being preached, by the way, because it'll help us. I help as a church to just start memorizing pieces that you hear taught right through the sermon and then to commit those to memory. So I want to encourage you to memorize Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Because this plan was fitting, it corresponded with the, the nature of God and who He is. He gave us a perfect Savior who fulfilled that plan to perfection. And because of that, as sons, as God's children, we have eternity in heaven. We are sons of glory. I could spend another hour talking about that verse. But I want to keep moving because there's key aspects to God's plan. Right? So what the author of Hebrews has done is he puts out like, okay, hey, by the way, here's the plan. And then he's going to give us some key aspects that, that are part of that plan. And these, these are fascinating, fascinating aspects. Number one, verses 11 through 13. The author goes on and says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a switch here. Right? He was talking about God, and now there's this, here's the switch. For he who sanctifies, that's Christ, and those who are sanctified, 
that's us, all have one source. And because of that, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will, pr I will sing praise to your name. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So Christ, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, you and me, we have one source, right? That source is God's fitting plan to save and redeem people. So we stand with Christ in solidarity to God's plan. We're, we're, we're united with Christ under God's plan. Both the sanctifier and the sanctified. And, and because of that, Jesus is not ashamed. Jesus is not embarrassed. Jesus is not too proud to call us brothers. We could spend a week on that. So when Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, interceding on your behalf, interceding on my behalf, he does not turn to the Father and say, can, can you seriously believe what Phil did? <laughs> Again. Like, oh my goodness. Like, I like... Like I love him, but like this is like this is this is ridiculous, right? Like I, I mean, I have to intercede for him. I'm sorry that he he did this again, but like I, I, I that conversation doesn't happen. He's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed. You're, we're we're united with him in solidarity. And the author of Hebrews will go in now in chapter 4, verse 16, and say that we can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace because we're united with Christ. And he's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He died for us. He fulfilled God's fitting plan perfectly. So why should he be ashamed? Why? He's not And the author uses two Old Testament passages to, to unpack this, and we're going to spend our time just in the first one, and that is Psalm 22. And we'll move quickly through Psalm 22, but it's important that we, that we linger here for a moment because Psalm 22 is another one of those messianic psalms that gets applied directly to Christ. And we see this right out of the gate in the first verse of Psalm 22 
which is a psalm of David, where David pens these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same words that Christ uttered on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we can read down in verses 7 and 8, these words from Psalm 22, all those who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And is that not a picture of the mocking that Christ endured on the cross and while he's on trial? Right? But David is having this experience where it just seems like everyone is, is on him. And he's just, there's no relief in sight. And then we can look at verses 16 through 18. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So this pain and this anguish that David is feeling, right, is ultimately pointing to Christ and what he's going to endure on the cross. And so there's this suffering element that is in Psalm 22. But then we get to verse 22, which is the verse that the author of Hebrews quotes. And he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And so this plea for deliverance turns now into words or praise to, to God and trust in God and who he is. The psalm establishes the suffering peace. Christ was going to indeed suffer but now there's this, there's, there's this, this change in offering praise to God. I will tell of your name to my brothers. And so if we apply this to, to Christ, which is appropriate, Christ is going to tell of God's name to his brothers, and we are his brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Christ has a spiritual family that is us, and he's not ashamed to call us that. And he's going to tell us about God and who he is, and we are to praise God along with him. So it takes the suffering, and then it takes Christ, and it puts him clearly on earth amidst the congregation with his people. So you have suffering and you have the incarnation that happens. And in both of those things, you have this relationship between the son and the sons of glory. That is us. And he's not ashamed of us. He endured suffering for us. It's the picture of Christ living with his people on this earth. And this 
position that he has to his father, knowing about the suffering, I will praise you. It's, it's, it's just absolutely mind-bending. Christ is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brothers or sisters. That's part of God's perfect fitting plan. And then the author of Hebrews adds another layer to this, or another piece to this, rather. He says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So if you missed the the hinting from Psalm 22, the author of Hebrews makes it abundantly clear, Christ came to this earth. The Son of God came to this earth. And it's the incarnation that through death, he might destroy the one who has pow- the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those all those whom through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And the angels didn't need that help, right? We needed that help. So Christ came to this earth He took on human form, flesh, and bloods, and accomplished two things. Number one, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Christ completely undid the work of Satan by dying on the cross. Satan was defeated by the death of Christ. This doesn't mean that Satan still doesn't do things on this earth and tempt people, right, and promote evil, because the last thing Satan wants you to do is to put any stock or any hope in that fitting plan of God, the gospel. He doesn't want you to even think about it. He hates it, and he hates you. So he has power, he has influence, but guess what? He's defeated. He's been nullified by Christ and his death on the cross. And the only way that Jesus could die was to come to this earth in human form. It's the only way it was possible. That's God's fitting plan. But by the death of Christ, he defeats the devil, he destroys the devil, and he delivers, number two, those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Right? These people who are hearing this letter, remember we talked about just the, the, the martyrdom that was happening and the persecution that was happening and around every corner, they were wondering and waiting, is this my day? That is a prescription for living in fear. Being afraid to walk out of your house and go down to the markets. Being afraid to walk out of your house and walk two doors down and visit a friend. Because what if they're an informant? They're going to turn me in and then I'm going to be killed. Because the Roman Empire doesn't like Christians. And we're, we're seeing this. And so I need to just, I, I just forget it. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to live in fear. 
And the author of Hebrews is saying that it's slavery. Right? You're not freed from death, right? He doesn't say that. He says you're freed from the fear of death. Because we are all going to experience death unless Christ returns first. But we should not be in fear. But we can oftentimes find ourselves in fear because there's just such a lot. When you start thinking about death, there's a loss of control. When you think about death, there's just this fear of just not finishing what you wanted to finish. Things are going to be left undone. Separation from, from family. And even just the, the unfamiliar. But as believers, as the sons of glory, of whom Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, the author who is saying that should not be the case because we know the one who experienced it and defeated it. And because he did, Satan, is, he's, he's nullified. Christ experienced death for us. We have a hope and an eternal future of God. Yes, we are going to die, but that death is going to be just boom. And then you're in the presence of the Lord's. Right? Just think about just what Christ has accomplished. And, and in that moment, right, when you're standing there in the presence of the Lord, I, I, and now listen, I, like, I'm, I'm, it's conjecture, okay? I'm thinking you're not going to be worried about something you didn't complete here on this earth. I don't think you're going to be worried about that. Because you're going to be more complete than you ever have been in your entire life because you're with Christ. And yes, for a time, you're going to be separated from, from your family, but you're going to be reunited with your fellow brothers and sisters and Christ in the presence of Christ for all of eternity all of eternity. And so the other people are saying, listen, don't fear death. Christ died for you. He suffered for you. He knows what death is. And yeah, you want to know what? It's unfamiliar, but you know the one, right, who died for you. And that should alleviate that fear of death and that fear of dying In verses 17 and 18, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he is Christ. Again, it's, you see this, this incarnation, Christ had to come to this earth. He had to. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We have the ultimate help.
help because of what Christ has done. And it's the perfect plan of God. It's the fitting plan of God. For Christ to be a high priest, he had to come to this earth. High priests were, were taken from mankind. We're taken from the nation of Israel. Right, we're going to unpack that in the weeks ahead. But he had to come be our high priest in order to make the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Right? And Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect. Every respect. I'm not trying to be crass or disrespectful here. Okay, but I, I want you to think about what that meant. Mary changed Jesus's diapers. The Son of God, fully human, Mary changed his diapers. Jesus got colds, sick, he burped, probably didn't always smell really sweet at times, as he's a young boy out bombing around with his friends in the neighborhoods, probably came home stinking and needed a bath. He had crushes. He was probably flirted with. He was weak at times, hungry, tired, had aches and pains. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Every respect. Everything that you and I have ever felt. And he did this so he can relate fully to us. He, he, he gets it. He understands because he was fully human. Right? And, and, and this is where you start wandering down these roads, right? And it's like, okay, but he was fully human, but he's fully God. How does that work? All right, here's my answer. I don't know how that works. But he was fully human. He was fully divine. And you cannot separate those two. He had to become like his brothers, so he could fully relate and understand that human experience. He stood before Roman officials at his trial. He knows that God is in control of everything and has perfect control over anything, but he's sitting there being falsely accused and led to the cross. He, he, he knows. He knows 
injustice. He knows these things. He can relate to these things. And he is our merciful and faithful high priest. He is so dependable. He's forgiven our sins. He has removed God's wrath for those sins. That's what propitiation means. And he'd suffered death on the cross, which was part of God's fitting plan that he would send his son to this earth. So that son knows the experience of what it means to be human and to live on this earth. And he's the only one that can bridge that gap between humanity and God because he knows them both and he can make that bridge. That's who he is. That's God's fitting plan. And so when we're tempted to fear death, when we're tempted to despair, when we're tempted to to lose hope, Christ is our helper. He gives us help. He's destroyed Satan. He can liberate us from the fear of death. He does all those things. Right? And so we understand right, under the extent that God went through for his children. He didn't just act from the outside. Right? He came down to this earth and got involved in the mess. Right? And he had to. He had to, to be the perfect sacrifice. It is only Christ who bridges the gap. It is only through him that there is salvation. Because he knows what it means to be human. He knows what it means to be divine. It's only Christ that solves that issue, the sin issue. Right? And yes, that is unbelievably countercultural. Right? Yes, that is offensive to people. Yes, that is closed minded. Yes, that is hateful to people. Because it goes against this self improvement, self help, you take the initiative, be self made. Forge your own truth. Liberate yourselves. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep moving. We need help. And that help is Christ. And so the one who is all-powerful humbled himself to a position of powerlessness and being on this earth. The author of life experienced death. The one who has no limitations whatsoever came to this earth and took on limitations to save people, to make us sons of 
glory. And that is God's fitting plan. We could spend another hour <laughs> unpacking this, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna end I'm gonna end here. Right? I want to encourage you to memorize Hebrews chapter two, verse ten this week, and I want to encourage you to read Hebrews chapter two, verses ten through eighteen, and just start looking at just all the truths that are there, all these different things that you hear about who God is and what he has done, right? It, it is tremendous. And because of that, we are his children. It was God's plan. And because of that plan, we have, we are sons of the Son, there's a solidarity that we have with the Son, and he's not ashamed of that at all. We have a conqueror who has destroyed Satan and who's delivered us from the fear of death, and we have a helper. And all that takes place because of, its, because of God's plan where he sent his Son to this earth to experience that and to be our great high priest and that involves suffering. And so when we're suffering, when we're going through seasons of trial and despair, we are to look to the one who is our savior. At present, we don't yet see all things in subjection to him, but we see him. We see him, and that is God's fitting plan. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, this time in your words. Lord, and as we sit and just even think here for these, these few moments about those verses in Hebrews chapter 2. Lord, and we wrestle with the truths that are there Lord, that it is your fitting plan. Lord, and be, because of that plan, that meant that you were going to send your one and only son to this earth to humble himself in obedience to your plan to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is in Christ and Christ alone that we have salvation. It is in Christ and Christ alone that we are sons of glory, that we are daughters of glory. Lord, if we have wavered in that, if we have waffled in our belief of that and understanding that, if we've questioned that plan, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would forgive us, that you would forgive me. For that, Lord, it is your plan and everyone and anyone who has ever walked on the face of this earth or who will walk on the face of this earth will have to answer to that plan. 
Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your son. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.